Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Can we get your Bibles? Open them up to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians. I want to spend some time this morning talking about what does it mean when we hear that we have sonship in Christ? And I don't want any women to be offended by that. It is a universal term. Um, sonship in Christ, and please, let me, let me explain this, okay, so we'll prevent any future problems. Anytime you see uh, the word he in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily mean he, okay? Um, in other words, proper English. If somebody's pregnant with a baby, you have no idea what the baby's name is, what do you call it? Nope. Proper English. He. It's, it's, it's used as a, as a universal term. It's a humankind term when you read it, especially back then. Yeah, they didn't necessarily do women right all the time. When it counted that Jesus fed the 5,000, that was only men. That wasn't counting the women and children, which on one hand you get with the signs of the times. On the other hand, I don't know why it wouldn't have sound better to say Jesus fed 10,000. <laughs> but that's not my business. He, he knows way more than I do, so I'm, I'm going to leave that with him. But sonship in Christ, and here's where we typically have uh, some difficulty. It's hard for us to see God as a daddy, especially in the culture we grew up in. Because the culture we grew up in was that if you step out of line, what's God's going to do? Right? And it was always a fear that God's going to... I was talking to, to somebody just the other day who, whose, whose kid passed away. And it was like uh, the Lord just snatched him out. I was like, well, that's not really how God operates. I mean, he can do that if he wanted to. I mean, there are some people that I believe that's a very strong possibility. Mel Carnahan was one of them. A uh, guy who uh, ran on the ticket of being a Christian and calling, you know, that he was a Christian and believer in God. And he went to church every Sunday, then turned around and started passing abortion laws one right after the other. His plane crashed. Is it possible the Lord took him out? It's possible. But who gets to say that? We don't get to say that. Sonship in Christ, it's... And, and, and I get that one difficulty in understanding this is when we talk about God being our father, we tend to tie him to a human father. So imagine if you had a daddy here on earth who had no limitation to what he could do for you and what he could, what he could give you. No limitation whatsoever. Who loved you through everything. Who did everything that they could to support you who disciplined you when it was necessary, but always, always did it you knowing in love. Did you ever whoop on your kids? If you do it right, within five minutes, they'll crawl right back up on your lap and apologize. And love on you. We've gone backwards in society 
because there is very little fear of a dad anymore. Now, the fear of a dad is the same thing as the fear that you had of your own dad. If you go out in the day, you do what it is that you know is right, that you've been that you've been taught and instructed to do, life's good. But you decide to go out and break a whole bunch of rules and break a whole bunch of laws, and what's going to happen to you? And on top of that, you're going to get a whipping, potentially grounded. Your car insurance is going to be taken away. I mean, there's a great line of things that could happen there. But they don't do that out of anger or frustration. Parents do that to their kids to discipline them, to teach them not. So anytime God does anything to anybody, who's especially who's a Christian, it's discipline purposes. He's literally doing what our parents did for us the first 18 years of our life. He just picked up at the age of 18. We got old enough to understand who Christ was. He picked up where our parents left off. Sonship in Christ has its perks, has its benefits, but also has its struggles. I was uh, blessed to be the third parent to enter Grandview School. I was a class clown. I was a bit of a troublemaker. I was a class clown troublemaker, but I was a bit of a troublemaker. And I can tell you honestly what made me that way. As soon as I walk in the classroom, as a little bitty kid, walk in the classroom, Keith Perrin, oh, you're one of those parents. All right, lady, I'm not, I'm not going to disappoint you. Here we go. Because <laughs> it was kind of like I showed up a troublemaker. I had the first day of school as a troublemaker. Because my brothers grew up ahead of me as troublemakers, class clowns, not people who are bad, but people who are just class clowns. So for me, it was like I might be a class clown. When we understand that we become a part of the family of God, it's really amazing how much it's similar to the relationship that God's called us into. And we have individuals who are Christians who are running around out there ahead of us, preparing the entire world for the exact opposite of what you are. You know, we talk, I talked a little bit this morning about the stigmatism for, for Southern Baptists. And individuals finding out this moral service, Southern Baptists, oh, you guys are really strict. No, no, we're not. Well, I thought Southern Baptists were strict. Well, you go find yourself a traditional fundamentalist Southern Baptist church. They're strict. Can't dance. That's one of them said, they, you can't dance. I said, that ain't true. What do you mean it ain't true? I heard. Well, you need to ask somebody who knows then. Something wrong with me dancing by myself? I can do it in my underwear and there's nothing wrong with it. Anybody tell me how I know that? <laughs> I can dance with my wife. I can dance with my daughter. Would it be wise for me to dance with somebody else's wife? Or maybe some young unmarried girl? Is that okay? This isn't about being strict. This is about having a head screwed straight on your shoulders that gives you the ability to be able to see when you're about to do something that's dumb as a box of rocks. But people have run around out there and, and represented us in, in that way to the extent that people just think that we're a bunch of people that are under the thumb of God. They don't get the relationship aspect of it. They don't get... It's a conversation the other day. Somebody figured this out. I was so 
excited and flabbergasted about it. So I figured this out. And honestly, I know people who have been Christianity for 30, 40 years still haven't figured this out. This is somebody who's figured it out. You don't do what you do because you're afraid of God. You do what you do because you're grateful to him. The grace that we all accepted doesn't give us an excuse to sin. As a matter of fact, it does quite the opposite. If we're looking at it correctly, it gives us the excuse not to. Because we don't want to do anything that's going to be harmful to him. We don't want to do anything that's going to be harmful to his plan or his purpose. We don't want to do anything that's going to hurt him. How many of you guys ever think that if you were presented the opportunity to defend your earthly parent, you would do so? If you had a good parent, they're defendable. And I can tell you that all my life, and I've been whipping a leather strap, my dad liked leather straps. He loved to go to hardware stores, and he would find that fresh, raw leather and have him cut him off a section. He'd go buy himself a buckle and fold it through and put his own snaps on it and just proud as a pickle. But I'm telling you, there ain't nothing that hurts like a leather strap. But never in my life did I ever look at my dad and think that his intention was to hurt me. Every time he whipped me, I knew why I was being whipped. Didn't take a genius to figure out why I was. I knew that potentially a whipping was happening if I got caught. I knew this. And I knew there was a really high chance of getting caught. So it's, I pulled over a few years ago out here on Highway 21. Cop pulls me over. I was speeding. I was in a hurry. I was going to a hospital. I was in a hurry. Cop pulls me over. He said, I clocked you doing 80 and a, 80 and a 65. I said, yep, that sounds about right. He looked at me kind of funny. He said, you're not going to try to get out of this? I said, why? I was doing 80. You clocked me and caught me. I'm on the way to the hospital. Give me the ticket so I can get on with my day. And he was just shocked. Why are you not lying to me? Why are you not trying to manipulate me? Why are you not trying what everybody else tries and pull any card that you can to try to get out of this ticket? Well, it's pretty simple. I'm guilty. And if we as individuals in our lives are willing to do that, I mean, we have a parent who actually is going, you know what, I'm, I'm going to put you up on my knee, and I'm going to whoop your butt, and then I'm going to turn you around, I'm going to sit you down, I'm going to hug you, and I'm going to tell you to do better next time. Well, our spankings aren't necessarily on the backside, but anybody in here ever been taken out behind the tool shed by Jesus? A few times in my life I've been behind the tool shed with Jesus. But he has a unique way of doing it, and we've never felt under any circumstances, I haven't, that God was some authoritarian ruler who was just waiting to smack me over the head every time that I made a mistake. Read with me. Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons." 
And what this is saying, when he talks about in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elementary, the elementary things of the world. What are the elementary things of the world? Worry. The elemental things of the world are the elements that actually impact or affect you. This goes right along with what I said this morning. For anybody, if, if, if somebody was to come to me and say, hey, I have a loved one who has COVID, and they're dying, and they have like two days left where they're going to be able to actually see in response to, to somebody, should I go share the gospel with them? Without a doubt. Why? Because the elemental things of this world don't apply to me anymore as long as I realize it. What did Christ do with fear? Took it out of its way. This is why the Apostle Paul even wrote that in all of the pressures and everything that we experience in life, we cannot be defeated. The war's over. The battles are still happening, but the war's over. Mercy me, I love mercy me. They got a song that's on the, the, the album Lifer that is titled as this, We Win. That's it. We win. It's not, hey, we're going to fall behind a little in the, first, in the first quarter, but we'll catch up a little in the second quarter. Maybe time in the third quarter will beat them in the fourth quarter. No. Game's over, 14 starts. So we don't have to worry about the elemental things of the world. And then us no longer having to worry about all of these things that pressure us, that rob us of our joy, that rob us of our peace, we have something else to focus on. And that is the adoption. Adoption is sons. The Bible goes so far as to say grafted in. Now I want you to know, when it says adoption here, you're not an adopted kid. That's not what it means. Adoption means that you were brought into his family and are now his family. Period. He's your father. You're his child. If you place your trust in him, he, he assumes that role that I talked about a while ago. So when an individual is brought into this relationship, and it pointed out specifically um, that Jesus came into the world under the law, right? And it's only pointing out the purpose, that he came in under the law so that he could remove the penalty of the law out of the way. So once everything, element, once every elemental thing is removed from out of its picture. What's the one thing that we have to deal with that's left that is actual reality? What is that? My dad used to say there's two things in the world that uh, will never change, death and taxes. Death. I don't care who you are. You can say you're, you're Christian. I don't care who you are. You, tell me you never worry about death and I'll call you a liar publicly. At some point in your life, it's crossed your mind. 
You've been through some type of a sickness. You've been some type of, you've been put in a situation where you were, your life may have been placed in danger. That's just who we are as individuals. We hate it. But the one thing that's left after our relationship with Christ pulls, pushes all these elemental things out of the way, the one thing that's left, Jesus removes by him pointing out the fact that he came and he was born under the law so that he may take the penalty of the law out of the way, which removes what? The reality of, of it is it removes death from the picture. How many of you guys really believe you're going to die? <laughs> the gospel according to John, chapter 11, my favorite all-time funeral passage. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And if anyone lives and believes in me, he will never die. Jesus' words. Then he asked Martha this question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And, and I racked my brain for a while. I'm like, why in the world are you just asking her that question? Just because he wanted to know if she believed this? No. He wanted to know if she believed this because it would change everything about the way that she looked at life. Everything about the way that she looked at life, the way that she looked at death. And I tell people in funerals all the time, that was coaching. I had all kinds of classmates in there. Classmates I know are lost as a goose in a snowstorm. And the opportunity to stand there, read this passage of Scripture, and say, hey, I'm here to tell you that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, tonight's your night to walk past that little urn and tell Coach goodbye because you're never going to see him again. But I get to walk by it and say, see you later. It's removed out of the way. And nobody wants to die. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's one of those things that the Apostle Paul was in the right place. When the Apostle Paul says, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And here's where Paul's heart with this, which is amazing to me. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and I am hard-pressed which to choose. Can you believe that? He's like, I'm seriously contemplating which of these is the best circumstance. And then he goes above that to go to be at home with the Lord. That would be much better. But then the real side of it was, but it'd be much more beneficial for you if I stay. Because God's called teachers, and he's called preachers, and he's called people who are led by the Spirit. And if we're individuals who are influencing the world around us, if we're letting people know that God is not just God, he is my Father, he's my Abba. He's not just my Pater, he's my Abba. The Greek word pater means father, and that's the individual who whipped you when you were little. You get that? How many of you guys call your father father? Father, can I borrow $5? No, we don't say father. What do we say? Dad. My little girl's Jacqueline is the best at it. Daddy. It's like, I'm about to do something. Because I can't tell her no. There's a huge difference between father and, and, and Abba, daddy. 
There's a huge difference between Peter, who is the one who corrects you, and the one who is the authoritarian, who sets your rules and structures everything in your life for you to follow. To follow. And, then there's the, and then there's the side of him that is Abba. The side where I'm sitting in my chair eating, eating chips, and Jameson will come over and crawl up on my lap and say, can I have one, Papa? And then many times I'll do the same thing that God did. Here, buddy, you can have them all. If we live life as individuals looking to God as being who he is to us, instead of what the world has made him out to be, life would change for us. Big time. Not the reality. All of this baloney going on around us is going to continue. It's going to go on. And we know. I know the end of the story. It's going to get worse. But if we're not living our lives as individuals who understand what it means to be a son or daughter of God, This means you're in a completely different category than you were before. You're no longer somebody that God looks at in judgment. You're no longer somebody that God looks at as someone who is apart from him, but you literally become a part of his family. And I talked to several people over the last couple of months. They're like, how big is your church? I'm like, well, right now we're running. I mean, if everybody shows up, 40s. Everybody showed up at the same time. Maybe we might hit 50s, but oddly. And people are really uncomfortable with small churches. Why? Yeah, you can't hide. But here's a clue. I don't want you to hide. (laughs) Please don't hide. I mean, hiding is what creates a lot of issues in the church. I'm serious. People who don't get that... God adopted me and brought me into the family. And he adopted you and brought you into the family. Guess what you are to me, Courtney? You're my sister. Not in Christ. You are more of a sister to me than any brother who's never trusted in Jesus. It's a fact. Everyone wonder why I like calling people brother? It's what you are. I always call you sister. I've heard people who go, oh, no, you're not only supposed to call preachers, brother. Where do you get that at? The Bible's clear. We have all been adopted as sons. We've been brought into the same household, the same family. This means that we should be loving and caring for each other, holding each other accountable, doing what we can to support people moving in the direction that God wants them to be, fellowshipping, loving on, encouraging. All of these opportunities are here. But I'm convinced now more than ever, it takes one thing. It takes the people in this church to accept that we're a family. You're not a stepchild to me. And I know there's some people who had some good lives as stepchildren, but I can tell you I know a lot of them. And the majority of the ones that I know, stepkids do not have a very nice existence. We're blood. And you may pull blood from our veins, test them both. We may have different blood types. But I guarantee you the only blood that's going to count is the blood of Jesus. And that's the blood that makes us brothers and sisters.
6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying... Somebody want to read it? Daddy! Father! Why both? Because he is both. He's both. He's daddy. He, he wants to comfort our hearts when they're tore up. He wants to give us peace when there's chaos. He wants to give us encouragement when we're discouraged. He wants to give us strength when we're weak. He wants to do these things. But he also won't let us get away with anything. Just anything. And I'm thankful that many times he's as gentle as he is. But I'll tell you a secret. Let me tell you how you keep from getting taken behind the tool shed by Jesus. It's pretty simple. The first time. Listen the first time. Took me a while to figure that out. I'm pretty thick-headed. Listen the first time. And then I thought back. My earthly dad. How many whoopings would I have got if I'd have listened to him the first time? None. Not one. He never just railed out of the house with swinging a belt over his head to come whip everybody because they needed their daily whippings. That wasn't how that worked. If you got a whipping, you deserved it. And you had any point at any time to take the off-ramp and to stop, but you didn't. So since you carried out the action, you accept the consequences of the action, right? Sometimes I don't think we get it. Sometimes I don't think people even hear him. You ever start to do something that you know God doesn't want you to, and he's going, don't do that. Don't do that. And we're why? Just don't do that. I want you to get this. Creator of the universe, omniscient, omnipotent, knows everything, be everywhere at the same time, absolute and total authority, and he goes, hey, don't do that. And we go, but I really want to. I'm pretty sure when he said don't do that, he knew how it was going to turn out. But do are we people, when God says don't do that, we go, oh, okay. God says don't do that. And then we find ourselves 10 minutes later going, God, help. And the world does it. It drives me nuts. God, you are not allowed on college campuses. You are not allowed in our courtrooms. You're not allowed at our schools. You're not allowed in the hospitals. You're not allowed in any government institution. Katrina, God, why have you left us? When does the church, in the, and I'm talking about the big C church, when does the big C church in the country grow the most? When does it get its highest attendance? Huh? Tragedies, trouble. Why? Because for most people, God is a raincoat God. Hang him up behind the door. If you wake up in the morning, the sun's shining, the clouds are gone, and it looks like a bright day, just go on about your business. You don't need him. Get him hanging up back there. But then we wake up one morning and it's raining. All of a sudden we need God, so we'll reach behind the door and grab the raincoat and put it on. 
How many of you guys could willfully disobey your parents and get away with it? Could you willfully disobey your parents and get away from it, get away with it? Now, so I don't think you could ask that question probably of some of the younger people today because there was a transition somewhere when it came to the way that parents discipline their kids. If you're as old as me or older, and your daddy told you to do something, and you looked him in the face and said no, what were the consequences? You're going to get beat, and then you end up doing it anyway. <laughs> you get beat, and you're going to do what you're told to do anyway. <laughs> I remember when I was about eight, nine years old, I told my dad that I was running away. I'm running away. I was unhappy about something. I don't remember what it was. I'm running away. Dad packed my bag. Of course, I had seen the cartoon, so I knew the little handkerchief with a few clothes in it hanging on the end of a stick thrown over your shoulder was the way that it was done. But he packed my bags. And I was leaving. And I made it all the way to the edge of the yard. <laughs> it's almost amusing, folks, when you really think about this. God has modeled this entire relationship that's inside the church from another institution that he created, the family. It's almost as if the plan that he had in place for all of his people was the same plan that he put in place for us as parents to be godly parents. They're almost identical to each other. Verse 7, and I'll close with this one. Of course, <laughs> I laugh when I say that. You guys know when I say I'll close with this, and you got another 15 minutes, right? Just making sure. <clears throat> Verse 7. <laughs> Verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir. How many of you guys would like to be an heir on earth sometime? Would you like to be an heir? Would you like to be a recipient of an heir? Would you like somebody to be an heir of yours? It's gonna. I mean, anybody else besides me hope you got a long lost rich uncle out there somewhere that when he croaks, or somebody's gonna dig deep and they're gonna find that I'm his only existing relative. <laughs> I want you guys to leave today with nothing more than this: grasp the value of you being called sons and daughters of God. It is a lot to wrap your brain around. But I'm here to tell you, the more you look into that, the deeper you will grow in your relationship because it will become much more obvious exactly how many parts of your life God's fingerprints are all over. A buddy of mine I was talking to last night, mentioning this morning, Lost a daughter at the age of 18 in a car with a drunk driver. A couple years later, had a baby, three and a half months. They knew the baby had issues. They didn't know how long the baby was going to die. baby died at three and a half months. He said, I've gone out in the field, stood on top of the hill, shook my fist at God, yelled at him, and I was like, he can take it. You can take it. 
He wasn't cursing him. He was asking him why. Who wouldn't have that question? You was an 18-year-old, and then two years later, you was a three-and-a-half-month-old? Who wouldn't ask that question? And he goes, and ever since that memorial service the other night, he said, I, I've been looking for God, and I can't find him. And I'm like, are you that thick-headed? He said, what do you mean? I said, you have been fighting with God for four years. Friday night, he gets a hold of you and is trying to talk to you because you're sitting in this truck with me right now. And he looked kind of glossed over for a second. I said, you know who my boss is, don't you? (laughs) And he goes, yeah. And then it dawned on him that I was the answer to his prayer. You ever been the answer to someone's prayer? God wants to use us that way. Because this buddy of mine, he's a child of God too. He did give his life to Jesus. And as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, the same thing happened that I tell people all the time. You give your life to Jesus and you get serious and on fire for him, and you are going to have a bullseye on your back. The devil does not want you going down the road you're going down. The encouragement is, he won't keep doing that. You think the devil wants to waste time? You see, the devil's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. Uh, he's also not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. So the old adage, if the devil's picking on me, he's leaving somebody else alone. That's true. Now, he has a lot of minions, a lot of demons that he can run out there and put the charge to go out and do the things that he does too, and he absolutely can. But once the devil sees that what you have in Christ is real, and once he sees that even through the trial it's real, do you think he's really going to waste time on you when there are so many people out there that are so willing to be misled? So he's going to try you. This guy gave his life to Jesus. 18-year-old died. Three and a half month old died. Wife left him. Bang, bang, bang. And he's one of the dudes that's supposed to be coming to church. Probably this week or next week. He called me this morning. After sitting in the truck with him for an hour and a half, he called me this morning. I'm sorry if I tear up. I'm going to try not to. I messaged him. He was supposed to be here this morning. He had the job that he had to get done before he could go, and he wasn't sure he was going to get it done today or not. So I sent him a message, and I forgot to mention to him, we don't have a dress code here. Come how you want to. Nobody's going to criticize you. You want to come in a suit? That's fine. Nobody will criticize you. You want to come in blue jeans, T-shirt? Nobody's going to criticize you. And he sent me a message back, and this is what that message said in a nutshell. I slept better last night than I have in the last five years. Him and his wife have been separated for a month. And he said, I walked the track at Granby with my wife for two hours this morning. We talked. He said, I have never experienced such a drastic change in my circumstances in two days in my entire life. I'm not bragging on me. I was the right place, right time. Who knew that a basketball coach that coached me over 30 years ago 
and the life that he lived and the death that he died would bring people into a building where they would be held to their spot while a preacher stands up there and tells them that apart from Christ they're going to hell and uh, to be reinstated uh, in a relationship with coach only happens through Christ. Those circumstances we don't create, but listen. If we look at this guy as a child of God when he walks in this church, a brother, how much can God change his life through us? In an hour and a half conversation, God turned this entire ship around in this guy's life. You love him like family when he comes here. And what do you think the effects that's going to be? We are going to see God do yet again. And I get so excited when I see God do things that just seem impossible. And I've had the pleasure of seeing that four times in the last two months. Because God is changing lives. And he wants to change every life of the people that we come across. And we can't be people who are approaching this fundamentally. We have to be people who approach this as individuals who realize we're brothers and sisters. We have no desire to hurt each other. We have no desire to mislead each other. We have every desire to do what is best for each other. And I'll tell you something, folks, and I, and I am going to close with this. It's only been five minutes, not 15 yet. It has become more apparent to me that these positions that I've been preaching on the last few months, these are the restart of Highland. In other words, it's been really hard for me to kind of get, try to put any type of a vision or plan together, having people who were here before I got here, having people who were brain spanking new, having people who were showing up from other churches. It was very difficult to really get anything um, structured. The fact is, things like this message today, we get these things buried in our heart and mind. People start coming to this church. We've always been a loving church. We've always greeted people. But do we make them feel like a brother or sister? Kid at camp a few years ago. This changed my heart forever. Kid at camp a few years ago was barely, um, barely a functioning autistic. They actually called the association office and wanted to know whether we even wanted him down there because this kid was going to be a problem. Told me ahead of time, this kid's going to be a problem. They got to think about it. I didn't think about it. <laughs> Get the kid to camp. If you can send somebody down with him, that tends to help. I've seen these circumstances before. Somebody who's willing to walk around with them all week, they tend to help if they've got somebody that they're close to. But if you can't do that, it doesn't matter. Send them down. I'll hire somebody to walk around with them. I'll pay somebody for the week to walk around with them. And throughout that week, you know what I heard most of? Adults and kids pl complaining about this autistic kid. It's such an aggravation. 
He sees everything backwards. He doesn't hear what anybody says. He does what he wants to. The rules aren't even anything to this kid. And my heart broke. Were they treating him like a brother? I want to tell you something. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what somebody's shortcomings are. It doesn't matter what difficulties they have. You know what God gave us the ability to do, but very few of us access it? Tolerate. Tolerate. The Bible puts it this way, be patient and gentle. Patient. Crack the whip, make people do what you want. Let's keep all of the people who are problems out of the picture. Let's even make, let's even make plans and just completely cut them out of it. Because it's an aggravation. The kids would go to the creek to catch crawdads, and the boy couldn't go because the cabin leader wouldn't take him because he was afraid of the problem he'd cause. The kid couldn't swim in a swimming pool because the guy didn't know how well he could swim. He didn't know if his parents wanted him to. He knew that the kid getting a swimming pool, he's going to be aggravating the rest of the kids. So let's send a kid home. Now I want you to get this. Autistic kid never has the ability to come to the conclusion of what sin is, what the penalty of sin is, what the solution of sin is. That, that kid, they are very special in the eyes of God. Very special in the eyes of God. So what do we end up being? A bully. It's not that we're just going contrary to the plan and purpose that God's put before us. We're literally criticizing people for something they can't help. Don't matter what people's issue are. Love them. That's why the command is what it is. Love them. I'll tell you something. God's focusing me for something. He's focusing me for something. I'm seeing little bits and pieces, and they're coming together, and I'm seeing movement in people's lives, and I'm seeing movement in people who are lost, and I'm seeing movement in people who have been out of the church for 20 years, and I'm here to tell you, I've said this only a handful of times since I've been here, and every time that I've said it, it's come true. I'm telling you, put on your seatbelt, because we're about to go for another ride. Ups, downs, difficulties, challenges, struggles, successes, victories, failures. They're coming. Are we ready for it? I want to answer that question for you real quick, just in case you might have the wrong one. No, we're not ready for it. Hear me. My wife is teaching her Sunday school class in the nursery. Just two babies in there. She'll do it. Happily do it. As a pastor, best scenario for a Sunday school class? Nope. Maybe I should just tell Dylan and, and Courtney they need to just take their baby and go home because we don't have a nursery for them. Is that what we should do? No. What's the problem? Come on, man. Somebody's got to step up. The Lord's talking to somebody. He's talking to somebody because he just does not have opportunities like this and not have somebody to take care of it.
our nursery list. Guess how many nursery workers for church we have now? One week's worth. In other words, we keep it the way that it is. The same nursery worker is going to be over there every Sunday. The scenario? No. I prefer them to be in a four-week rotation. So they're one week out of four. They're over there. Three weeks out of four, they're in here. Best case scenario. Are we ready? I'm telling you, folks. Get ready. I'm telling you it's coming. I've seen these waves come in before. This is not the first time this church has been low in attendance and God's grown it. He's done it about four times over the last 20 years. And I've seen patterns, and I'm telling you, it's coming. And we are not ready for it. So is he your father? Are we brothers and sisters? Let's be a family. There's only one way that we can take care of each other as a family. And that means people who have babies shouldn't have to worry about whether there's a nursery worker or not. They shouldn't be expected to go over there and watch their own baby. Shouldn't. People shouldn't be made to feel uncomfortable because a preacher just stood up here and said that. And I guarantee it makes them uncomfortable because they're big-hearted people. My wife loves Delta, and Delta loves my wife now. She's, she will stay in her presence, unlike a lot of other people in the church. I think my wife's great at doing that. But it's not the best-case scenario for her Sunday school class. She'll do it. She'll do it as often as I ask her to. But it's not the best-case scenario. So I'm not saying be a nursery worker. I am saying this. Ask God what you're supposed to be and be it. Ask him what you're supposed to be and be it. The best thing you can do for this church is just be obedient. It's not a hard thing to do. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, never followed through in believers' baptism, can't save you, but if you'll come up here and talk to me, I'll be happy to spend whatever time necessary to make sure that you know the one who can. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, please try to absorb this throughout your day-to-day. Imagine the capacity of what this means to be a son or a daughter of God. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.